0: And now we have heavenly visions that are right before the tribulation period. And God's throne is right in the middle of this vision, but the tribulation period is God's judgment coming from his throne. So it makes sense that we would have this heavenly vision before we get into the worst time that this world will ever see. The Antichrist, the false prophet, the one world government, the collapse of a mystery Babylonian system economic Babylonian system strange scorpions large hailstones a world war that everything else culminates within a world war that's all coming in the book of Revelation before we get to all of that we stop in a heavenly vision and we see that during this time of great calamity on the earth That God is still on the throne he is high and lifted up and I want to show you tonight that he is active on the throne he is not there passively he's active in this chapter we not only want to see God's throne but the one who sits on the throne all kinds of things are happening while he's there and we will start with the throne of God and then we'll talk about the one who is on the throne and then we'll see how far we get I've got us to cover a few more things tonight, but if we have to push them off until later, uh, then we'll do that. So let's start by reading through our text first. I want to go all the way through verse 5, and then we'll come back and see how far we get through it tonight. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 4 in the book of Revelation, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me. Saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. He was empowered, he was baptized by, he was enveloped. Immediately, he was in the Spirit of God. And he says, And behold, a throne. And that must have been something to behold. He's immediately in the Spirit. He's gone up into heaven. And behold, a throne. It is the centerpiece of heaven. Whatever you think of when you think of heaven, you need to think of the throne as the centerpiece. And when you're reading a book of someone that died or had a dream that they went to heaven and they're giving you a heavenly description, which, by the way, I'm massively skeptical on on all of them. All right. Some may be true. I'm not saying that they're not. I'm just saying I'm massively skeptical on them then they need to have the throne in the very center. Behold, he says, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And that's meant to cause us to pause and think. We have a throne not on earth, at this point not over earth, but in heaven, and there's one sitting on that throne. That not only speaks of him being in control, We like to say to one another during difficult times, God's still on the throne. And that's a good thing to say. But being on the throne means being in charge, being the one who brings judgment, being the one who makes decisions. And a sovereign who is sitting on the throne with a desire to do what is right is going to have to make a lot of hard and difficult decisions. I don't know how hard and difficult they are for God, but I will say the decisions that God makes from his throne are difficult for us at times. But God makes those decisions as the sovereign of the universe, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. (coughs) Excuse me. So one sat on the throne. And then verse three. And he who sat there was like Jasper and Sardius, Uh, stones in appearance and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald around the throne were 24 thrones so this is a vision of thrones not just a throne behold a throne but around that throne are 24 thrones and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed with white robes that had crowns of gold on their head And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. So the throne is active. It's not passive. It's like like, like just this beautiful, peaceful throne. There's thunder, there's lightning, and there's voices coming from the throne. And we see throughout the book of Revelation that there's thunder and lightning and voices that come from the throne to all of the things that are happening on the earth. It goes on to say then, seven lamps were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And I rather doubt whether we'll get to who the seven spirits of God are tonight. Well, we may start with that next week. We'll just see how it works out. So we start in the middle of verse 2, where it says, and behold, a throne set up in heaven. We covered verses 1 and 2 in our study two weeks ago. In Revelation 4, 2, immediately I was in the Spirit, And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on it. This would be a sight to behold. Behold, a throne. It's a sight for us to behold. Something that is absolutely amazing. Now, the the Bible has a lot to say about God's throne. And I want us this evening, before we continue on in our text, to consider seven things the Bible tells us about the throne of God. The first one is in Psalms 11, 4 and 5. And this we see that God is active on his throne. We see it in Revelation as too, lightning and voices and thunder. Well here in Psalms 114 and 5 we read, "The Lord is his holy, the Lord in his holy te- the Lord is in his holy temple." Let me just start again. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold His eyelids test the son of men. The Lord tests the righteous. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. So that God is on his throne in heaven. His eyes see everything. And his eyelids test. I'm not quite sure that reference, if that is an idiom to their culture as to the eyelids testing. I'm not sure about it. But we can get the idea that God is on his throne and his eyelids are testing the sons of men and the Lord tests the righteous. That means that he tests everyone who is a part of humanity. There are tests that God gives us as to how we're going to live and how we're going to respond. Christian and non-Christian. He also tests the righteous. God tests us for several reasons. Because he wants to produce something in us. The Bible says, consider it joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. God wants you to have your your soul, your spirit, uh, like precious gold refined by fire, Peter said. So God uses difficulties in our lives to do the work that he wants to do in them. Now you might say, well, I don't like that. I don't like that God's sitting up on his throne, nice and comfortable, And he's doing things in my life to make me like refined gold. Well, maybe you don't like the process, but can I say, you're going to like the results. The result in the end, much more precious than gold, Peter said. God tests the righteous. May we pass those tests. May it reveal to us where our hearts need to change. I think that's a lot of times why God does it. He takes us through difficult circumstances so that we'll face them. And when we respond negatively, that has revealed to us what I need to do. Lord, I'm sorry that I responded that way. But God is on his throne. Now, when it says, but the wicked, this is at the end of verse five, but the wicked, the ones who love violence, his soul hates. Now, how can the Bible say that when we're told in John three sixteen that God so loves the world? When we're told that God is love, And if God is love, then 1 Corinthians 13, the definition of love would apply to God. Love is long-suffering, God is long-suffering, God is kind, God doesn't promote himself. He doesn't, he he, he, uh, lifts up others. All of the things there that it says about love could be said about God. So why would he hate those that love violence? There's another passage in the Bible That said, God has begun to hate those who do wickedly. He began to hate them. So yes, it is true that God loves the world. But there comes a point when someone chooses wickedness and especially violence. That's what it says here. That, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. This doesn't mean that God hates every person. It means there is a point where someone can cross where they become so wicked and they are doing violence that God ends up hating that person. I'm going to go, they go past the point of God's grace. I don't think it means they can't repent. I'm just saying that God gets to the point where He hates that person and He's going to judge that person because of their wickedness, because of the violence and the love of violence that they have. It doesn't mean God doesn't love everybody or that God didn't love them as children. But it meant when they got to a place where they embraced this, that God's soul hates them. Now, I'm, I'm just going by what the Word of God says. That God loves everybody, but God hates those who love violence. And in another place, God began to hate them. So there was a point where God loved them, but began to hate them. The second thing that we learn is from Psalms 9, 7 through 10. Where we see that even today, God is judging from his throne. That not only is he testing, but God's judging. Like he judged the Ninevites. Like he judged several of the other people that were around the area. Like he judged the city of Tyre in the Bible. Because of certain things that they did. God judges nations. Let's read it and we'll talk a little bit more about this judgment. So this is Psalms 9, 7 through 10. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. Part of the reason for his throne is for judgment. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness and shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. Not only is he a judge for those who do wickedly, but for those who are oppressed, he is a refuge. A refuge in times of trouble, it says. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Anyone who trusts in him, he will watch over them. We will not fall into judgment. We will not fall into the wrath of God because we put our our trust in him. Now, sometimes there are just wicked things that happen in the world. There's stuff happening in the world today. Nations doing certain things. You've got this, this war that's taking place in Ukraine. And I, I don't know whether we know everything, that understand it all. Maybe some here do better than others. But we think what an awful thing, especially as we've watched a lot of, of, of civilian targets being hit. You can watch the news, and you see a mall that got hit and hundreds of people that died that were shopping. And you think how horrible. But God is watching all of this as well. And sometimes we feel like, well, here we go. This is our world now. The world as we know it is no more. And this is our world now. But God's on the throne, and God's judging, and God will judge nations. God will judge groups. God will judge political groups. God will judge everyone, because God is the judge. And he's not just talking about the future. God gives you free will. God gives leaders free will, and we can make decisions for good or for bad. Now, just because we have free will doesn't mean that if we choose bad, God's not going to judge us. If we use our free will to do something evil, then judgment will be there. If we use our free will to do good, then blessings will be there. The third thing the Bible tells us about the throne of God is that God's throne will never end. It is is ongoing forever. This is Psalms 45, 6, and 7. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you (coughs) with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Not only is this throne going to endure forever and ever, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never change. Hebrews 4, 15, and 16 tell us that we have access to this throne. And that's amazing. There's a throne in heaven, and, and we'll see in a couple of weeks There are all kinds of angels around the throne. We're going to have a study in a couple weeks where we talk about all the different kinds of angels we find in the Bible and how they are seen up in heaven. So, but we have access. Here's Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, meaning Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows your temptations because he faced temptations, but he didn't sin. He may have even faced temptation in a greater way than you have because at some point you may give in to that sin, but Jesus did not give in to it. In that sense, he took the full force of temptation. And then it says, let us, because of that, let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Not only is it active as a throne of judgment, But it's a place to receive grace, which is undeserved favor. And because we are in Christ, we have access to that throne to receive grace that we may obtain mercy to find grace and help in a time of need. Are you in a time of need? Then go boldly before the throne of God. Know you are approaching the one who sits on that throne and you can find grace to help in the time of need that you have. The fifth thing that we see is on Isaiah 6, 1, the throne of God is high and lifted up. I'm going to read a little bit more of this passage later, but I just want to read you verse 1 for now. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Picture God's throne. You have to look way up to see it. And the train of God's robe fills the temple. And that would speak of the glory of God. Something else we're going to take a really close look at in in this chapter a little bit later on. What is God's glory? What does it mean? What's the Shekinah glory? How does that relate to the glory of creation? We'll talk about those things. But he is high and lifted up and his train of the robe fills his temple. It speaks of the position that God has. In Isaiah, where we get the mind of Lucifer of Satan, his name really isn't Lucifer. I hate that I said that. Um, and I'll explain that at some point, all right? Just, just make a note now, his name isn't Lucifer. Satan, the devil, the archenemy says, I will put my throne as high, uh, 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 aside God's throne on high. He doesn't say above God's throne, but aside God's throne on high. He says, I'm going to be like the most high. Which is interesting because the serpent, which is the same archenemy, said to Adam and Eve, you will be like God. He said to himself, I want to be like God. And he wants to put it on high. And to Adam and Eve, or to Adam, uh, to Eve, you will be like God. So it is high and it's lifted up. And there's something important and powerful with that. The sixth thing the Bible tells us about God's throne is that God reigns over the nations from the throne. He's involved in the details of the kings of the earth. Psalms 47, 7 and 8. For God is the king of all of the earth. He is the ultimate sovereign. We talk about God's sovereignty, that God does as he chooses. And I want to say that we believe in God's sovereignty 120%. And God's so sovereign, he could make 120% if he wanted to. But that doesn't mean that God can't give you free will. God can be so sovereign That he gives men free will and can still do his will in the midst of giving men free will. And real free will, by the way, not false free will, but real free will. For God, it says, um, Psalms 47, 7, and 8 For God is the king of the earth, sing praises with understanding, God reigns over the nation, God sits on his holy throne. This is not just God sitting on the throne again and waiting for time of judgment, letting the world unravel in front of him. It's God actually judging the nations today. The idea here is it's active. God is doing it today. And you say, well, why is the world in such shape as it is if God's judging it, if God's reigning over the nations? Because sometimes God gives men evil leaders because their heart has been evil. We see that other places within the Bible. And finally, the seventh thing about God's throne is that God oversees the angels from his throne. So God reigns on his throne, determines what he wants to do, and then angels go out and do it. As we'll see in a future study, there's cherubim, there's seraphim, there's messenger angels, there's angels that stand in the presence of God, there's at least one archangel, which is Michael. We'll see all of these different angels. But listen to what it says in Psalms 103, 19 and 21. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom over all. Blessed be the Lord. Or bless the Lord. You, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding his voice of his word, bless the Lord. All you, his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. So angels are first ministering for God, but Hebrews 1 tells us, are they not all ministering spirits sent to minister to those of us that have been given life? Angels minister to us who have been given salvation. Angels came and ministered to Jesus after he was tempted by the devil and had fasted in the wilderness. Angels came and ministered to Jesus while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And angels minister to you when you feel particularly down, when you feel, like, just kind of depressed and like you don't know if you want to go on, may angels minister to you. May God minister to you by the holy angels that do his bidding, because they work alongside of us in the work that we have been called to do. Now, let's take a moment. Those are the seven things the Bible says about God's throne. But let's take a moment to consider a couple other visions of the throne of God in the Bible. This would just help us get a little more information. The first one, and this is the first place you find God's throne in the Bible, and this is in 1 Kings twenty-two nineteen. 19. It says, Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and the host of heaven standing by, and his, at, um, on his right and on his left. In... Romans, I mean, excuse me, in Daniel 7 and I think in, in Revelation 4 it says 10,000 and 10,000's 10, angels worship him. 10,000 times 10,000. That's a hundred million. Johnny Cash has this song. The second time I quoted Johnny Cash in two services. Johnny Cash has a song called When the Man Comes Around. It is the last song he ever wrote. If you're a Johnny Cash fan, and you've never heard when the man comes around, you need to hear it because it is even prophetic in a sense. He's talking about the end of the world. And at one point, he has the line in his song a hundred million angels singing. Well, if you know your math, 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. So he's singing, he's talking about these angels, a hundred million of them around the throne. What a great number! Now, I said I would read some of this passage, a little more of this passage earlier. This is Isaiah 6, where we saw the throne of God high and lifted up. King Uzziah was a good king. But King Uzziah at some point decided that he wanted to be a priest as well as a king. And so he wandered into the temple to give an offering. And God didn't want the kings to be priests or the priests to be kings. And so God gave him leprosy. And he was, he was cast out as a leper, and and finally died in his leprosy. And Isaiah must have really have been mourning the life of Uzziah, Uzziah, because he was a good king. But all of a sudden, he had this thing that he wanted to do what God didn't want him to do. And so when it says, in the year King Uzziah died, all of a sudden we might see that Isaiah may be feeling down himself. He says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting high on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each having six wings, two that covered his face, with two that covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the altar, with the tongs of the altar, and touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. An altar is where a sacrifice is made. So there is an altar in heaven and one of these seraphim, when Isaiah saw God on his throne, there's something, if you and I can really see God on his throne, there's something about that that will reveal more about us and our need. I saw God high and lifted up and I said, woe am I, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. The better we see God, the more we see our own need, and God forgives. God meets the requirements to forgive us. And we see that laid out as Isaiah had this vision of the throne room. There's another picture of the throne in Daniel chapter 7. This is my favorite. My second favorite would be Ezekiel, because there's a, there's a chariot, but well, it's a chariot throne. There's a throne of God with wheels, and we'll cover that later on. But here it says, uh, verse Daniel, chapter se- uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. Now here's Daniel seeing a vision and he sees a th- thrones put in place. Notice that they are thrones put in place. So there's thrones, <laughs> just like in Revelation chapter 4, that there is a vision of thrones right there's one throne and the 24 thrones around them so now daniel sees thrones i watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated the ancient of days is the father there's no mistaking that ancient of days was seated his garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was pure wool his throne was a fiery flame its wheels a burning fire and a fiery stream issued forth from before him. Now, I love that vision of the throne because it's got wheels and a flame that shoots out. An old muscle car guy like me reading of God's throne having wheels and fire that shoots out is like, yeah, that's awesome. It goes on to say then, uh, and... um, it came out before, him. this fire came out before him and thousands of thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands, ten, uh, ten thousands times ten thousands, a hundred million stood before him and the court was seated and the books were opened. The actual court itself was seated and the books were opened. This is not just a picture of a throne room, but it's at an actual event in heaven at the very end. So the vision that Daniel's seeing is the very end, the white throne, uh, the white, the white throne judgment where the books are opened and all of mankind is judged. Now a few lines later it says, in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, I was watching in the night vision and behold one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Then to him who was given, then to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. This is a human one like the son of man, a human, coming on the clouds to the ancient of days. And that human is given a kingdom over all peoples, tongues, languages. Jesus himself said to Caiaphas, when Caiaphas said at his trial, his Jewish trial, I adjure you in the name of the living God, are you the son of God? And Jesus said, it is as you say, but from here on out you will see the son of man coming on the clouds of glory and given a kingdom that will not end. And Caiaphas tore his clothes because this vision of the throne and the Son of God coming, the Son of Man coming, is Jesus. Now, check again where this is at. This is Daniel chapter 7. This is the Jewish scriptures speaking of the Ancient of Days and a human who will come and be given a kingdom that will last forever. This sounds very Christian. But it is very Jewish because the concept of the complexity of God is found throughout the entire Old Testament. Let me read one more and then we'll we'll move on from the throne. This is Ezekiel 1. This is a long vision and it's a strange vision. It's a vision of the wheels in the wheels. This is the one that ancient alien says is aliens in the Bible. Are there aliens in the Bible? Ezekiel's the one. So it's a vision of God's throne. And there are four cherubim that have four faces. One of a lion, one of an ox, one of a man and one of an eagle. And it's got a bunch of wings and they move without turning. And you can imagine if you had four faces, you wouldn't have to turn just whatever direction I wanted to go in, there I'd go, you know, because I have faces that head in that direction. So they would go and they wouldn't turn when they went. And there were wheels, within wheels, that had eyes all around. And when the angels would touch the ground, the wheels would touch the ground. And then when the angels would lift up, the wheels would also lift up. Now there's a lot here in this vision. I think the wheels represent the Holy Spirit, the eyes, the Spirit seeing everything. And I think God on his throne, directing the angels and the Holy Spirit, doing the work down among men. So I think there's a lot happening here. I don't want to cover it all. But here in verse 26, we get a picture of the throne that is above all of this that's happening. And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne in appearance, like a sapphire stone. On the likeness, on the throne, was the likeness of the appearance of a man high above it so there's an appearance on this throne like a man also from the appearance of his waist upward i saw as it were the color of amber in appearance and fire all around within it and from the appearance waist down i saw as it were an appearance of fire with brightness all around what he's seen is the glory of god in the appearance no man can see god and live the bible says and so he was seeing the, the glory of God given out from God like the appearance of the rainbow in the cloud on a rainy day. And remember that in Revelation there's an emerald rainbow around, there, around the throne. It says, like the appearance of a rainbow on a cloudy ra- on, on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So he tells us what it is. This is the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice of one speaking. And so then the vision goes on and God begins to talk to Ezekiel, who has been taken captive by the Babylonians and is in his inside of a refugee camp outside of Babylon at the time. Now he speaks of the glory of God. And that's the next place the book of Revelation goes. I see and behold a throne. And so now we've learned all about that throne. But let's take a look at the one who sits on the throne. It's very much like this account in Ezekiel. And he who sat on the throne was like Jasper and sardius stone in appearance. So it's like these two kinds of stones. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now, Sardis is the first stone that is on the breastplate of the high priest. So Sardis is mentioned second here. But the high priest had 12 stones that were on his breastplate. The first stone that was on it was Sardis. The last stone that is on the breastplate is Jasper. So here you have Israel represented on the breastplate of the high priest with these 12 stones. And he talks about seeing the appearance of the first and the last stone on top of the throne. So this would be a reference to the God of Israel. Now Exodus 20, says... And this is the fourth row. And the fourth row of beryl and onyx and jasper. And they shall be set in gold settings. Now, let's talk a little bit about something that I, I learned here a little while ago. There is something called isotropic and anisotropic stones. These are two different kinds of stones. And if you're interested in looking up the definitions, you can do that. It's complicated and I'm not going to take time to go into it now because I would bore myself to tears as well as you. But an an anisotropic stone, if you look at it with pure light, and this is according to David Pawson, P-A-W-S-O-N, if you want to look this up. He was a late pastor and evangelist, and he says that like a laser, if you look at these stones, anisotropic, in a laser, that they look different than isotropic. And... If you take a polarized, which they didn't have in their day, right? If you take a polarized lens, you know that that cuts out glare because you're, it's, it's like it's cutting out the angles. You're not getting the sunlight from all of the different angles. You're getting a straighter sight, and that's how a polarized lens cuts out angles. And if you double-polarize anisotropic jewels, you cut them thinly, you put them under a microscope, and then you put on a polarized lens that is from both angles then anisotropic jewels, according to him, show up in rainbow colors. The isotropic stones, like diamonds and rubies, uh, garnets, do not show up with any color. You put them under the the microscope, you put the cross-hatching polarized lens over it, and you look at them, and they are clear, or they are black, they're dark. It's interesting that none of these jewels are said to be jewels of heaven. And that in Jerusalem, all 12 of the stones that are mentioned, the the stones on the breastplate, some of them are isotropic here on earth. But in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is made, the whole city, the new Jerusalem is made out of 12 stones. And all of those those 12 stones are, are anisotropic stones. Now, did, is this evidence, this is what, what, um, David Pawson says, is that this is evidence that the Bible is inspired. Because how could anybody know that these 12 stones in their day, they had no idea of pure light like a laser. They had no idea of polarized light. How would they have been able to tell so that if these stones indeed are what he says they are, heaven is gonna be incredible, made out of these stones. Imagine the glory of God shining all around the city of Jerusalem through all of these stones that give off all of these different colors that are more intense and more bright when they are looked at. Now again, you can kind of take this, this is in Scripture, right? This is something that's been found and you can look into it. And I took some time to look into it, all right? I'm not saying it's gospel. I'm not saying it's evidence for the inspiration of the Bible. I think there's more evidence, different evidence for the inspiration of the Bible. I just find it interesting that these stones that's, that define God and the in New Jerusalem are ones that shine in a super bright way. Listen to what Revelation 21:23 says. It says that God's glory actually illuminates the New Jerusalem. The city had no need of the sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God illuminated, and the Lamb is His light. Now again, we'll look later at the glory of God, but in the New Jerusalem, you're not going to turn on a light. There's no need for a sun or a moon because God's glory fills up the entire city. And if in fact this is true and correct, it means that it will be more beautiful than anything we've ever seen. Because these stones under the cross, being cross-polarized, are more beautiful than diamonds. It'll be something that is absolutely amazing. And that is a picture, these, these jewels, a picture of the glory of God. What a day it will be to be able to see all of that glory. Now, I've got three other things I'm supposed to cover, which I won't. But in closing, let's say this. God's on his throne. And it is high and lifted up. And God is providing for the needy and judging the wicked. And judging the nations. And, and moving in his people. And testing the righteous. And hating the wicked and those who love violence all from his throne when we say God is in control he's on his throne we really mean it God is in control and God is on his throne God's throne is a place of judgment and grace if you are not right with God get right with God go so you can have access to the throne of God for grace to help in a time of need finally the one sitting on the throne is more glorious than we can ever imagine beyond I think what we can see I think our eyes can't see I'm colorblind and from time to time I'm green red colorblind from time to time my wife will say look how beautiful the mountains are they're pink and I'm like they look gray to me I can it looks like a little illuminated gray but it looks gray to me and inevitably she'll say you're it's going to blow your mind when you get to heaven When I get to heaven, imagine not just seeing the regular colors of the earth, but all of the colors of heaven. The glory of God will absolutely blow me away, will blow you away as well. And we can't wait to see God in all of his glory. And remember, the whole earth is full of his glory. So we are seeing all kinds of things that speak of his glory when we look at nature. How amazing that is. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can take time today to learn about your throne and what the Bible says about the throne of God. Lord, we see the throne set up. We see the Ancient of Days. We see the Son of Man given a kingdom. We see you judging the nations from your throne and giving grace to the needy from your throne. You are active. You are not passively on your throne, letting things happen down here on earth. You're even testing us from your throne. And may we not grow weary when you test us. Thank you for the revelation that we find within the book of Revelation. For the throne and the one who sits on the throne. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.